offering information for your mind, enabling transformation for your heart. A weekly dialogue exploring God's Word and its application for today's world. Sabbath School U. Hey everybody and welcome back to Sabbath School University. This week's lesson is Global Rebellion and the Patriarchs. I've got my friends here, Vanessa, Elroy, and Eric. Welcome, everybody. Hi. It's good to be here. Well, just like every week, we're going to start with a word of prayer. Eric, I'm going to ask you to pray for us. My pleasure. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us together today. Uh, please guide our, our thoughts and our hearts through this lesson, Lord, and uh, show, us, show us what you want us to see, Lord. Uh, in your name we pray, amen. 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 Well, I think it'd be an understatement to say that things have gone from bad to worse. Mm. Uh, for the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at this great controversy. We started off with the crisis in heaven, um, and then we moved to the crisis in Eden. And now, I mean, the very title of the lesson is Global Rebellion. Um, and in the first day, we're looking at two, you know, pretty familiar brothers, Cain and Abel. And I don't know about you, but I didn't see that coming that in the first family we have the first murder. The very first children. What does that say about the nature of, of sin? I mean, it starts in the mind and it escalates very quickly, almost exponentially. Yeah. To the point where not even like a generation down, you know, their children are feeling the effects of their own decisions, you know, some years before. So it's, it's kind of sad. I like murder. I, you know, we, we have these uh, mass shootings and bombings and all over the world human life is taken so easily. Right. But it's like, especially given, um, you know, the lesson goes into what was on Eve's and Adam's minds mm. because of the promises God had given and thinking that their, their sons were going to be the redeemers of the world. Right. And then Cain kills Abel. Like, he doesn't slap him. He doesn't punch him. He doesn't deceive him. He kills him. And see, that's what blows my mind. Yeah. Um, that it starts with eating a piece of fruit. And I'm thinking it'll be, you know, a few generations down the line before we get something like murder. Like, surely it couldn't happen with, right. the, you know, the first sons, right? And the first son out of that. I mean, here's the first offspring from the two first created beings. Right. And his Hall of Fame mark is, yeah, I killed my brother. Mm. Well, to me, yeah. I mean, to answer your question, that's, that's sin. I think uh, our human minds, we always want to quantify things. Mm. And we want to put them in categories, okay, of scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not bad at all, 10 being the worst possible thing. Right. And I think that's the point. Like sin, there is no gradation there. Like wow. either your mind is in sin or it's not. Either you are, you, if you're capable of one sin, you're capable of all of them. And we wow. don't like to believe that. Mm. We like to think, well, I'll gossip, but I'll never lie. Or I'll lie, but I'll never steal. And then that's where it's like we don't understand the true power of the corruption of sin. This is just a brilliant example of, uh, of sin's power. Like, they, sin didn't go insidiously, like, corrupting the mind slowly. Like, once, this, once sin took hold, it was instantaneous how powerful the effects were. Right. The like, very first murder was the murder committed by the very first person born. Mm. Right. Right. So it brings new light to what God says to Adam in Genesis chapter 2, where he says, listen, 
Um, in the day that you eat of this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And I know uh, many persons will say, well, that didn't really happen, speaking of, you know, the kind of death that happens when a person ceases to breathe. Um, but could he have been communicating that the you that you're used to will die? You will no longer be the same. In other words, right. you're no longer going to be perfect. That Adam will die. Right. The Adam that's in a, you know, a harmonious relationship with me will die. Yeah. And I, yeah. Exist anymore. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I agree. I think a different, a different spirit, the minute Eve and Adam ate the fruit, um, you know, like I said, they had, in a sense, some knowledge of good and some knowledge of evil. Their eyes were opened. Sure. You know, they were, um, they were naked and they were ashamed. They had to cover up. And cover up is kind of what we do nowadays just because we've been so bathed in sin. Anytime something happens, we have to cover up the issue. Right. Or we find a way to accuse someone else or blame someone else. We never take the responsibility for our own actions. Uh, if you go back into uh, Genesis 4, uh, right after that, and we talk about how um, Cain... Um, killed his brother Abel, if you look at verse 9, so now this is kind of, everything kind of happens really quick. It's like Cain and Abel were chilling, and it came to pass, and all of a sudden, boom, boom. then Murder. Abel dies. You know, it's like, yeah. it's very quick. But all of a sudden now, the Lord is asking Cain about, you know, Abel's whereabouts. There sure. should be some accountability there. And uh, afterwards, he's just like, well, you know, am I my brother's keeper? Right. Uh, this, that, and the third, and it's just like, well... I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you because yeah. in verse 8, he kills him. In verse 9, he says, I don't know where he is. Mm. What is that? Mm. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. But again, it, it seems like a cover-up, one. And two, there's no love. Where's right. the love? Where's the love for your brother? But, you know? but, but, but did they not know that God knew everything? I feel like we take this conversation a little too literally. Mm. Okay. He wasn't asking Cain, where's your brother? He's asking Cain, why is your brother not here? Right. Mm -hmm. What, mm -hmm. what, because he, he says to Eve, what have you done? Mm -hmm. So I think that in the, those words, he's saying, what have you, stop and to and Adam, where are you? Where are right, you? I was right, just thinking right. about that, yeah. What have you done? So God knew where Adam was. Adam knew where Adam was. Why the question? You know what I mean? Yeah. Cain knew where Abel was. God knew where Abel was. Why the question? It's kind of like, I feel when God asks us questions, he's asking us, stop and think about where your sin has brought you, where your road without me right. has led you to. And that's where I feel like I want to go in a completely different direction because it goes into the patriarchs and there, for some reason it's linked. Right. The, the, the crisis in heaven, crisis on earth, crisis takes over the earth between all these people. And that's my question because we get focused on sin, mm. but all our great patriarchs sinned. Jacob was a deceiver. Noah got drunk and did shameless things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, who else? Moses had right. had rage issues. Killed a guy. <laughs> killed, <laughs> killed he up. was a murderer. You know what I mean? Um, Abraham, that whole mess with his wife. So I, I, I found, like, I want to discover what does this mean for us? Um, if I might, yeah. um, and you can please feel free to say, Rich, you're totally off. <laughs> uh, but I kind of want to try to um, engage you on that point in terms of what might we learn of God who presents us with these questions, who knows it all. So it's not right. like I don't know um, Abel's exact geographical location. I don't know where Adam was. I don't know why Eve did this. He knows. But my, maybe he's trying to let us know that one of the steps towards reconciliation is first taking ownership. So can you acknowledge ah. what you've done? So it's giving you an opportunity to take, sure. uh, to take responsibility. Sure. That's awesome. oh, go and ahead. Also, also, I just want to say, he didn't come over here and say, why did you kill your brother? He didn't go out and straight rebuke him right, right. away. 
he, he knew that if he had rebuked him right away, like there was nothing that could have happened. But instead, he brought it up in a way that made him introspectively realize what he had done. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, where is your brother instead of, why'd you kill your brother, man? Right. But mm -hmm. but either way, did I don't think Cain answered introspectively. Like oh, he no, just came no, off he, whole blooded. Like, am I my brother's keeper? He didn't. He didn't right. answer it in, introspectively. But God gave him the chance. He did. Sure. He did. I think that's very important. God give gave him a chance, knowing full well what he was going to do. He gives him a chance anyways. Yeah, and it's amazing very because no, go ahead, Vanessa. No, I just feel like there's this idea that if you walk with God long enough, or you know Him well enough your character, we talk about sanctification and purification, like we're supposed to be getting better and better. We're supposed mm -hmm. to be better people. But these patriarchs, and I mean, if you think about it, yes, the things that I was referring to, um, for the most of them, Jacob did all his deceiving and his scheming and plotting earlier on in his life. Sure. Um, and, and so did Abraham. And then they mature spiritually toward the end of their life. But Noah, all of that happened after the flood. After the flood after this huge experience with God and being, he was so pure that right. he was the only patriarch that said, like all, only eight people. Right. And then boom, it, all that craziness happened after the flood. So it's right. kind of like what, if the point is not that we become better because we choose God, then what is the point of this? How can we not contribute to this global rebellion? Wow. I think the point is by choosing God every day. I think in all of these situations, you look at all these um, patriarchs, um, you know, Moses, uh, Abraham, mm -hmm. they chose God, but at the same time, you saw other situations where, you know, they may have chosen themselves mm -hmm. in a bit for a moment, just that small moment of pleasure, you know, uh, Noah getting, you know, a little drunk and yeah. stuff like that. They, so they chose themselves just for a moment, but I think it's, um, I'm guessing the answer to that is like choosing God every day and every decision you have to find a way to choose God because only that's the only way you can actually have the victory. If I might use a, an example, um, I'm a newlywed. Mm -hmm. I love you. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It is not good for man to be alone. Yeah. Um, and I praise God for my wife. Um, but I got to be honest, prior to us getting married, I couldn't help but wonder how in the world am I going to be married for like 35, 40, 45, <laughs> yes. 50, 55, 60 years. And so I called, um, I called a, a mentor of mine and I said, you know, Elder, listen, and him and his wife have been married for 60 years. Unfortunately, she recently um, passed away, but 60 years, that's a long time. And I said, um, you know, you guys have been together longer than you've been apart. How in the world are you married for 60 years? And he said these words to me. He said, uh, Rich, you don't stay married for 60 years. Mm. You stay married for one day. Mm. And before you know it, you'll be married for 60 years. Now, he wasn't trying to be deep. He wasn't trying to be cliche. His point was, well, it is was impossible <laughs> to conceive and conceptualize being married for this long. Yeah. I can't give you an itinerary with a... That's not a 12-step. That's a longer, that's like a yeah. thousand step, you know, yeah. to make sure. And I think to some degree, that's it. And what Elroy's trying to bring out is, is, you know, how can for the rest of my life I not contribute to global rebellion? I get discouraged thinking about that. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Because if I'm going to live for, you know, 65, 70 more years and I'm trying to account for all of that in one sitting, it's like, how can I sit today? Mm -hmm. And not to say we don't think about the future or plan for the future, um, but to say, okay, Lord, you've gifted me this day. And I, even as I plan for tomorrow, I don't know, but if you give me another day of life and you continue to live in me by your spirit, I'm going to 
strive to live for you. But I don't want to get away from Vanessa's point, which is, you know, here's this guy, Genesis 6, verse 8, says that, you know, and Noah found grace in the mm -hmm. eyes of God. Mm -hmm. All right, he's used by God in a mighty way, uses an instrument to build this ark, you know, the big flood scene. And it's like post-flood, mm -hmm. these blemishes happen and are recorded. And so what hope do we have if even after great victories, mm -hmm. and the list goes on and on and on. I mean, David, slayer of Goliath, mm -hmm. and then the giant falls in his own life. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, and I think, for me at least, and I, and I would like you guys to respond too, which is only in Christ do we find the perfect example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Continuing to look at the patriarchs, we're going to become hopeless right. because we've got yeah. some great ones. And I, I can talk all day about this. You know, <laughs> I, I want to depend on the patriarchs. Like, come on, guys. Come on, Abraham. Come the on, come Avengers. on. Oh. The Avengers. Come on, David. We're going to get one. <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? So what do you guys think about that? You know, to her point, you know, where do we put our hope, you know, in light of what seems to be this pattern of, you know? You know, uh, there's a story in Genesis 15 that I think is one of the most powerful stories in the Bible where God is giving a, his promise to Abraham that he's going to have a son, that, his, uh, that he is going to have multitudes of, of children in the future. Uh, he, uh, to make a long story short, he takes a whole bunch of animals and cuts them in half cool. and then uh, lays them out and God walks through them, mm -hmm. which in those days meant this was a common practice if you sold land or something like that, you would do something similar to this mm -hmm. and you would walk through these animals that have been cut in half to signify that if I break my promise, you do to me what we did to these animals. You, wow. are, you can split me in half yes. if I, if I uh, disobey this promise. And that's what God did to Abraham, yes. <laughs> knowing full well that later Abraham would doubt him and uh, sleep with a mistress to try to get a child through someone else. Wow. Like, is that not, like, crazy? Mm. What love the Father well, has for us, mm -hmm. you know? But then the irony there isn't, it just hit me now, isn't Abraham, in a sense, kind of split in half now by creating two nations? So by sleeping with Hagar, that promise where he was supposed to be whole through, um, you know, carrying the rest of his generations through Isaac, isn't he split in half now, so to speak? Right. And, uh, and now they're, they're, the children of these two um, patriarchs, so to speak, or sons, are still fighting today? Definitely. I, I think it has to do with, when we talk about the great love of God, I don't really hear people talk about what the, the expression of that love is the deep commitment. Hmm. So for me, it's like, how can you be committed to me knowing that I'm never going to be committed the way that you are and that's to me the the beauty of of god that he is a, a holy divine being who created me and he's committed to me to the point that even if i sleep with hagar right. or even if i lie about sarah being my wife or even if i um get drunk and do craziness sure. after the flood the commitments he's holding up his end of the commitment right mm. no matter what i do is interesting but i also now i want to switch directions again <laughs> because because you mentioned the word irony and i find there's so much irony in all these patriarchs oh, yeah. irony. Come on, help us out. like can we talk about esau for a little bit like talk about it. Go ahead. i want to know <laughs> why the lesson says that jacob tricked him okay no he didn't he said let's have an exchange right. and esau agreed how is he going to be mad at jacob for taking what he gave away 
Wow. Or, or even, you know, Joseph's brothers. Like, right. isn't it, why is it okay that they sold him into slavery and their heinous act of, is what ended up kind of saving them in the end? Right. Because if they hadn't sold him into slavery, they wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have been in a position to save them from their famine. Like, these things bother me. This is the whole thing, though. Is it, hasn't, over the past few weeks, haven't we just been talking about cause and effect? Right. Someone does something, whether it's um, minute or whether it's large, and all of a sudden there is a major impact. This is what I see in Genesis throughout the entire book. These people making decisions in just the span of a moment, just a very quick decision, not realizing how exponential the, the actual, the ripple effect, oh. the butterfly effect that some people mm -hmm. like to uh, use today, uh, how that, you know, how it would affect all of creation and all of the entire world. But the reason I bring it up is because most people I, I know personally are not Christians okay. and they don't they can't grasp this. They don't understand why we have this global rebellion, like even God's very own special people and his leaders in the Old Testament right. were all very sinful. Like, how do you explain this yeah. to someone? Well, let's try to use, you know, a, a case study with Jacob and Esau, as you brought right. up. Um, scripture says that Esau's dupe, run amok, hoodwinked, he's tricked by Jacob. Vanessa's saying, I don't know, you know, you can't totally rob someone of their free will and their, you know, their own personal volition to make a choice. He put a proposition on the table, he said, listen, you want these beans? Give me the birthright. And can you be so tired, so exhausted from a day's work that you can't process that? What do you all think? Was he tricked or was it kind of like, did he assume that his brother was being sarcastic and playful? What? So here's the funny thing, and I, man, like you think about those moments, there's always moments in a Bible where someone is approaching someone in a moment of weakness. Yeah. I mean, even if you hyperspace forward to that part where Jesus was in the desert, and now the devil is trying to get Jesus at his weakest point where he's in this huge emotional yeah. need. Think about that. Esau uh, was in a okay. huge emotional need. He's out there hunting, and he needs some vittles, some food. He wants anything. And all of a sudden now, Jacob is going and getting him at his weakest point. Mm -hmm. So there's always moments of deception in areas where, you know, people feel the weakest and they're in a need of something. Taking right. advantage. Taking advantage. Okay. So I, I, yeah. I think my issue was with the word trick. Okay. As if he didn't know what was happening. Right. But... Now that you say it, Jacob didn't have to, you know what I mean? Like he, he took advantage of mm -hmm. that weak point. Mm -hmm. Like Satan didn't come at day one. He came at day 40 when Jesus was like fainting. Right. Mm. I see. Hmm. Taking advantage of weak points. And isn't that something that sin also produces too? Kind of a certain sinister watchfulness for the vulnerable? Mm -hmm. Right. And how can I capitalize upon them at a moment of like vulnerability? Waiting to strike. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of brings into something that we discussed in the previous lesson about, you know, do you ever feel like someone's watching you, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, um, again, trying to pounce upon you when you are vulnerable. And um, we see that even in the movie that you mentioned mm -hmm. that, you know, he kind of ventures off into a space where his father told him not to go. His father knew that, hey, you're going to be vulnerable here to forces that you don't want to try to compete with. And that is the same thing I think the enemy seeks to bring us into places of vulnerability because he knows in these weak moments, I can really have a greater chance on them. Mm. I feel like the lesson also mentioned that the, um, and we mentioned it before in previous episodes, but that the great controversy is in our hearts. Definitely. And I feel sometimes like our enemy understands that more than we do. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let's explore yeah. that. You know, what does that mean? You mentioned you have some friends who aren't necessarily Christians. Right. And um, when we use that kind of language, the great mm -hmm. controversies in our hearts, let's try to put that or reframe it in words that can be easily transmitted on Twitter or something like that. Right. What would, what would you explain to someone who had no reference point, no foundational basis, if you're right. trying to convey this idea of a great struggle or tension in one's heart, what does that mean? I think 
It goes back to human nature. Okay. I think that most people who have never been to church, not once, have never opened the Bible, not once, but if I tell them, t tell me of a time in your life when you wanted to do wrong and you were battling or you saw, you know, you saw the struggle, maybe in your parents, some people have a very volatile home environment Definitely. where they, that struggle, that pull back and forth, um, where there's abuse or where there's trauma. Right. That's one thing that ever is universal. Mm -hmm. And so I try to start there and tell them, well, even if you, f if you feel it inside yourself or you saw it so clearly in someone else, that, that really deep, awful, dark struggle, sure. where does that come from? Okay. And why? Like, that's where I, I try to get the conversation started. I agree. You know, point them outwards to things that they can relate to and then say, hey, this has a source. What about you guys? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if this sounds weird or not, but I find it somewhat reassuring that all of these, all these guys had sin problems. Wow. You know? Because, <laughs> I mean, think yeah. about it. Yes. Like, I have a sin problem, you have a sin problem, you have a sin problem, though? and you have a sin problem. Mm -hmm. But these are men that God, like, trusted with right. his whole heart mm. he uh like you mentioned david and his problems david was a man after god's own heart even yeah. though he did all these bad things in his life and uh you know what what does that say about about us you know yeah. when i make a mistake and people see me make a mistake and they call me out they're like hey you're a christian you should be making them you shouldn't be making that mistake mm. yeah mm. and uh i know that i shouldn't have made that mistake but at least I feel reassured that other people have made these mistakes too. Mm. Right. But God still loved them anyway. And isn't it amazing that what we have recorded is not just a list of people's great conquests and successes, but we also right. have recorded, you know, the instances in which failures. they were conquered, yes. which they failed, because that's a better reflection, I think, of our reality. If this book was only, uh, you know, Abraham successfully saying, hey, I'm willing to give up my son if you want me to, or David uh, conquering Goliath, or, you know, the other mountaintop experiences, you know, I'd be kind of like, okay, so where's the part where I come in? You know, because right. I don't have only these experiences. And so I'm with you, brother. Like, it is reassuring to know that, hey, because what it does for me is it points to the God who is faithful to the mm -hmm. promise. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it says, listen, this promise is conditional. But thank God that even in the seasons where we breaking, we're breaking the conditions, God is still upholding, as Vanessa said, his end of the bargain. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the problem because we get so, we have people who when they come into the church and when yeah. they're exposed to Christianity, yeah. they feel like they need to accomplish something. Sure. No matter how much we say salvation is a free gift, mm -hmm. there's still some, re some part of their minds that's focused on how am I gonna get to heaven? Right. And, I, and that's why I'm always trying to tell people, no, you're not gonna get to heaven. God is gonna get you there. Right. Mm. Like, it's not whether or not you sin. Right, and I think that's the tough part. Even now today, even in you know church, a lot of people are afraid of coming to church, literally afraid of coming to the building because they mm -hmm. feel like it's a perfection club. Like, mm -hmm. I need to find some way to be perfect to come in here. Why? Because everybody I see in here is perfect. No right. one talks about their problems. Right. No one talks about their issues. No one focuses on their brokenness. Just like you were right. saying. Like, if it was Facebook and David was one of us, it would be, oh, look at this wonderful thing. Nobody puts on Facebook when they argue with their, with their wife. Right. Mm -hmm. Nobody puts on Facebook when they get angry and curse at their kids. Right. Nobody, you see what I'm saying? There are some like, people. No. <laughs> <laughs> or like Instagram. Most people, yeah. nine out of 10 people. Oh yeah, yeah, you take 10 shots. Which one do you Find it in the best light. Mm -hmm. The best angle. Angles. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm glad that the pictures that we have here 
aren't all in the best light, mm -hmm. aren't all in the best angle. In fact, I think the person who's always in a perfect light is, is God. Uh -huh. And um, even his presentation of himself is not for us to look to him in a sense to say, you know, oh my goodness, you're so perfect, I'm so not. And, you know, to then distance ourselves from him, but it's like, no, draw close to me. Mm -hmm. And God says, Isaiah chapter one, hey, let's reason together. Although you're really messed up in light of how great I am, hey, I can make you like me. Notice, you know, not you can, you can become like me on your own. No, I can make you like me. I'll take away those sins. And I think this is what David really gets after his blunder. Mm -hmm. um, he says, okay, Lord, you know, you got to create within me a clean heart. Mm -hmm. You got to do it in me. Well, and that's my thing, too. I feel like they're, they're unifying, you know, they're being the patriarchs, mm -hmm. Jacob, Abraham, Moses, Noah. There was a point in each one of their lives where they where they acknowledged and they said, okay, what am I doing to contribute to this problem? Right. There's a problem. There's a global rebellion. Right. And now I need to stop and take stock and, and self-inventory and, and figure out and ask God. Yeah. And, and say to him and submit. It, it's, a, it's a submitting and a, and a humbleness to say, I know I'm part of the problem. Yeah. I'm not just going to sit here and act like a victim yeah. in this life. And the submission part is huge, but I think it's in our submitting where God saves the day. I mean, if you go back to, um, where is it, Genesis 22, cool. and it talks about Abraham's faith being confirmed. I love verse 13. Verse 13 right there is huge because that is one of the first indications of us finding out that a, a Savior is coming to save us. So Abraham 22, 13 says then. Genesis? Sorry, Abraham, <laughs> Genesis 22, 13. Oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> says, then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Mm. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Wow. And so this is the beautiful thing. God asked us sometimes to... Um, offer him the thing that we love the most. Yeah. And right before um, we do that, he sees our willingness and he switches it out and says, you know what, here's my son, I got you. I have somebody, someone who I love who is willing to do this in your place, don't worry about it. So that, that's the beautiful thing, he wants our willingness, but there's the global rebellion, this fight, this tension for our hearts. Let, we need to give our hearts to God and let God do the rest and he already has through his son. You know, there's kind of a, um, a bright light that shines in Genesis that kind of gives us some hope in the midst of rebellion. It's towards the end of Genesis, it's this whole controversy between Jacob, excuse me, Joseph and his brothers, mm -hmm. Jacob's sons. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, sold into slavery, has a very arduous path there in Egypt, but then, you know, it's kind of like the ultimate rags to riches story, right? Started mm -hmm. from the bottom, now he's here. <laughs> and so... Income, it's like a, you know, Wednesday night drama, you know, he's on the throne now and you think the season's over and as soon as the season finale is about to go off, income his 10 brothers and it's just like, join us next season to see what happens. <laughs> Come back next season and here he is, like he has his brothers and you would think that he would exact judgment on them, but we know how it happens. He ends up forgiving them. What does that say about in the midst of a global rebellion that there is still the presence of godliness? How is Joseph able to forgive his brothers after that? Because he sought him. All those years of those ups and downs and ins and outs, the years in jail, the, the being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, all of that, mm -hmm. um, those hardships right. led him. It's the hardships that soften your heart. Okay. And I think it, it put him into a position where he's like, man, I done seen it all. I've been everywhere. Yeah. I'm not even going to blame you because you intended it for evil, but God worked it out for good. So if you all had to give, you know, a word of hope to someone watching right now about the chaos that's going on in the world, but letting them know it's going to be okay. What would you say? 
I mean, it's going to be tough right now, mm -hmm. you know, but at the end of the day, while you're feeling broken, while you're feeling dark, someone is going to turn the light on in your life. Do not think it's going to be dark forever. Uh, I would just say no one is perfect and don't let anybody think that they're perfect. Uh, don't, don't let them push that on you. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's my favorite verse, John 16, 33. It's going to be bad, yeah. but I've, I've already done it. It's already done. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you all so much, and thank you all for joining us. If you'd like more information or to see more shows, you can join us at www.sabbathschoolu.org. That's www.sabbathschool, the letter U, dot org. We'll see you next time.